Our castaway this week is American University head coach Steve Jennings. Steve has been a head coach at American University for, he just finished his 21st season. He's been coaching professionally for over 27 years. A former player himself, he played for the USA at the 96 Olympics. He's also coached in two Olympics in Beijing and in Rio, as well as coaching and part of coaching staff at two World Cups, two Pan Am Games, and uh, has also played in Pan Am, a number of Pan Am Games himself. So, Steve, welcome to the show. Uh, it's great to have you with us. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, first question, Steve, how did you get into coaching? I got into coaching by doing a summer camp randomly in the DC area. And uh, it was a great way I found to be able to support my ability to play on the national team. It gave some sort of quick money and was really fun to share my experiences as a player with uh, other kids. So that was my first foray. And then I eventually was able to go from coaching in a, a summer camp at American University and got the assistant coaching position there when a position opened up soon thereafter. All right, great, thank you. Fantastic. So as we as we cast you away to Desert Island, you you your three books that you uh, get to entertain you and have hopefully influenced you along the way on your journey so far. So, what's your what's your first book of choice, Steve? The first book that I read that was really influential in terms of a coaching standpoint was Sacred Hoops by Phil Jackson, who was the head coach of the Chicago Bulls when Michael Jordan was there and won a number of championships. So that was the, the first one that was really uh, sort of specifically on coaching or the culture of elite teams. And uh, it was a great sort of uh, read in the process. What was it was that in that book, Steve? What was there in there that really sort of uh, aligned either with your philosophy or sort of had some sort of resonance with your coaching? I think uh, the amazing part for me was that Phil Jackson was a head coach in the CBA uh, and was brought in to somehow work with the best player, arguably, in the history of the NBA. Uh, he was eccentric, had his own style. When the team was on a losing streak, they would find him burning incense in the locker room. Uh, he'd be giving out personal books to players uh, on road trips trying to get them to do meditation. So I found uh, the, the kind of really important message was to be yourself and that if you're yourself, it kind of doesn't matter where you're coming from, you can get the best of the best to buy in and believe in what you're doing. And the other side part that was fascinating is that Michael Jordan was the best player in the NBA, arguably, but hadn't been winning a championship. And he was able to convince him to do less in order to help the team do more. And I loved that the, the lesson was that the team was the most important thing and that together they could go to greater heights together. So for me, that was the big takeaway. And it was uh, awesome since I love Jordan as a player and ended up really loving what uh, Phil Jackson was all about too. Yeah, so Steve, uh, Sacred Hoops obviously an articulation of Phil Jackson philosophy, as you say, is a bit eccentric, his own style, his own absolute clarity about how he did things and why he did things. How do you describe your philosophy as a coach? I think we're always trying to create an environment of positive daily challenge where people have the freedom to take risk. I work with a lot of people that are incredibly perfectionist driven and that gets in the way a lot of times. So we're trying to encourage them to take risk and fail and get them to try to play in outside of their comfort zone. So 
we want to make decision-rich environments. We want to have relevancy with that. And we want to always kind of focus on what our core principles are for um, that season, perhaps, or spring, and kind of stay tucked into those, those key areas. But really trying to make a positive, go for it, take risk, and uh, sort of develop the inner person as we go through the process. So we're really committed to the person and treating each person as an ind individual within our program while having the same sort of overall goals for the program. What about your second book? What's your second book that you'll take with you? Uh, I take the uh, book called The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. Mm -hmm. tell, tell me about that. That book is basically about how to build and sustain uh, an elite culture. And uh, it really talks about highly successful groups from high-end restaurants to the Navy SEALs to Google. Uh, and kind of the, the big thing is that they're asking, or he asked why certain groups add up to be greater than the sum of their parts, while others end up to be less. And uh, the book opens with a great little experiment where a group of kindergartners are uh, given uh, pasta, marshmallow tape and some string and put into a competition to see how high they can make the tower uh, with the marshmallow having to end up on top and then they're going up against other groups of uh, college students who are in business school CEOs lawyers and they end up winning so it's a great sort of exploration as to why groups are failing why groups succeed and what kind of lessons we can learn so I'm a big fan of culture I believe in that really strongly so it's an amazing book to help your team be better yeah and obviously from working with you i know you're sort of uh the importance that, as you said there that you place in culture and establishing culture what have you done with your teams have you can you recall anything that you've done with your teams that you've helped to develop culture or strong identity within your group i mean i think it's a daily daily grind on that you have to always tend to it i think it's like a a sandcastle that the tide's always coming in twice a day and if you don't work really hard to protect your cultural values then you're in trouble and at the same time I think you have to keep growing so you're always having to find a way to explore where you can go next and what possibilities lie within your group our situation is a little different than the national team because we have people that are going to graduate in four quick years so you're having to reinvent your culture probably in a slightly faster time frame um, than the national program uh, but we, we do exercises all the time trying to sort of uh, push them out of their comfort zone, get them to be more vulnerable with each other, supportive of each other. And that can be on the field, that can be in totally different exercises. I mean, you can always do the simple things like a rope course or take them rowing and learn how to actually work together to go in a direction. But uh, we do things that are subtle every day with that. Cool, fantastic. And uh, book number three, Steve? Yes. Book number three, uh, kind of a tie-in. I got introduced to this person through the Culture Code. His name is Ed Catmull, and he's one of the um, sort of principal founders of Pixar, and the book is called Creativity. And uh, basically, it's talking about their journey, his journey within, but Pixar's journey to where they got to. Uh, it's an awesome book, talking incredibly uh, deeply about creativity itself, how to get creativity out of people, but also really speaking to how you can manage groups, how you can manage. And as a young coach, I had no idea how to manage people at all. I was kind of, uh, I thought I knew how to coach because I knew how to play. And then uh, over time, you realize I didn't really know a lot of principles about coaching. So uh, fortunately, I was able to delve into that quite deeply. 
And then after that, after you kind of get that figured out a little bit, have your own personal philosophy, then it was time to start focusing on learning how to not only develop other people, but mentor, delegate. And this book speaks greatly to that. Cool. Awesome. Just, just to jump back on, I guess, the title of the book, The Creativity Piece. What does that look like for you in, on the field in the, in the hockey environment? I think you uh, always have to take what you have around you. I mean, we're in an incredible example of that right now. Unfortunately, there's this huge health epidemic that's affecting the world. And all of a sudden, everybody that's in a D1 uh, field hockey situation lost their ability to have competition this spring lost four weeks of being able to train with your team. Now your team is having to go home and maybe can't use the gym like they normally would or access field. So we're gonna all have to be very creative about how we engage our group, how we keep growing as a unit. Now we prepare for next fall. So that's something that you know you can't ever plan for now. But uh, I think we also on the day to day are always look to put them in decision rich environments uh, with different rules and trying out different exercises and seeing how they develop. So some exercises are a disaster. They never really get off the ground and others really open up different insights to the players, the team and the coaching staff. So something you always have to be mindful of. Steve, I've just, uh, you made an interesting comment there, which I just like to pick up on. Um, you said that, you know, you thought you could be a good coach because you were a great player. And you realized that there were different skills and qualities. At what point, how long have you been coaching before you really thought, you know what, I'm really starting to get the hang of this and understand coaching rather than just being a player that used to, you know, somebody that stood in front of the group as a player that used to play? I think it, you always are feeling like you're getting there, wherever there is as a coach. But what it kind of, the evolution of that is at first, I mean, I remember the first camp I was in, somebody said, how do I hit the ball? And I thought, what do you mean you just hit the ball? That's what I said to myself in my head. I never had to think about how to hit a ball. And then I was like, okay, what do I do with my hands? What do I do with my stance? What do I do? Where is the ball relative to my body? And that was the first time I actually thought about, oh, I have to actually help people that don't know this skill. Um, so you can kind of fool yourself because you can get technical proficiency, but then there's tactical proficiency. And maybe it's, working with goalkeepers and if you're a field player, all of a sudden you're not really aware of that position and the needs there. So you have this steady evolution and uh, I kind of have gotten to the point that I don't think you're ever there. And so you have to keep growing, whether it's learning about physiology, learning about team chemistry, learning how to be uh, more vulnerable in front of the group, solicit questions or solicit answers from the group. So uh, I kind of feel like every time I think I've gotten better, I have a lot more to learn. So Steve, everyone leads a little bit of support along the, uh, along the journey. Who would you turn to as a mentor and how have they helped you improve as a coach? I've been very lucky. I've had a tremendous number of people who have been incredibly influential in my career and my way of thinking about the game. But I'm going to uh, definitely put Terry Walsh out there as a mentor for me. Um, I got introduced to Terry when I was helping out with the, the U.S. program in 2005. And he, I think before then, I really was looking at sort of the trees and sometimes losing the forest. And he was a great person being able to help kind of unify a lot of things, helping give structure uh, to a lot of the different aspects of the game. Uh, hugely influential from learning technology about sort of video analysis because he was a, a master of sports code. And I learned an awful lot as well about sort of uh, motivational pregame presentations as well as debriefing. So 
uh, just the ability to get thrown into the mix with Terry was incredible and was a, a huge advance in my uh, coaching ability and the way I saw the game. Steve, you're about to be cast away uh, to a, on a desert island. How would you survive? Are you a practical person? Do you think you'd be able to build a shelter and go fishing and sustain yourself? I certainly hope so. I think it looks a lot easier when you see people doing it on the TV or in the movies. So even though I have a bunch of outdoors experience, I think uh, being on a desert island would uh, present certain challenges. Uh, but I, I would hope to, to lose some weight, but do okay. <laughs> and then what about the other, the social part of this? Uh, I mean, what about this solitude? Would you be comfortable with that? Or would you need to, I mean, you're a, an active social person or could you manage being out there on your own? I think I would do okay for a while, but I also think obviously all of us are, um, needing to have communication and connection with people. So. I might have to adopt a volleyball like Tom Hanks and, and go for the best. <laughs> cool. So obviously, as you, as you head off to the desert islands, we cast you adrift. You had to take a limited supply of items with you. Uh, which, which song are you choosing to keep you company on that island? Well, I picked a song that was incredibly important during a large segment of my early playing career with the national program, and that is uh, So What You Want by the Beastie Boys. Uh, it was a backdrop for a lot of training, a lot of lifting sessions, a lot of traveling around the world. And when you're seeing the world for the first time, those songs are, are really stark soundtracks for you. So a uh, great song, brings back a lot of great memories. A quick sort of uh, shout out to Larry Amar and rest in peace. Uh, he was around for a lot of that time too. So uh, that was an exciting time in all of our careers and that was a definite soundtrack. Okay. And and the dish? Uh, I think I'll go with like a, a pod thai. I need some carbs, so I'm going to go with a pod thai. And I, hopefully, I'll be a good enough sort of uh, hunter-gatherer to be able to uh, free dive, get some lobster, scallops, or fish, and uh, be able to combine that nicely with the dish. So uh, that will serve me pretty well. <laughs> Perfect. Fine dining. Fine dining. I like it. Yeah. And then the, uh, your luxury item. What's your, what's your comfort when you're out there? Well, I'm a big fan. My, my, one of my big hobbies is photography. So uh, as long as I have something I can download photos onto, I'd maybe asking for too much. If not, then I have to kind of maybe go with like an iPhone or something. But I, I'd like to have my camera and hopefully be able to be inspired throughout the day by taking different images and trying to get by with some artistic vision. All right, Steve Jennings, thank you so much for joining us on Castaway Coaching. Pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.